Just ahead on Black Issues Forum, a question of broken promises by President Biden on student loan forgiveness and a conversation about what's at stake for America's strongest asset, democracy. Stay with us. Welcome to Black Issues Forum. I'm Deborah Holt Noel. To the chagrin of progressives and others, this week President Joe Biden announced student loan payback will resume on February 1st. That afternoon, some college students say they received an electronic notice of payment due on their loan already. Didn't take long, did it? Well, now we are seeing organizations call out the president for breaking promises made when he was running for election and even when he was president-elect. This does not help this administration's popularity score. So here to talk about it, I want to welcome Lamisha Whittington of Advance Carolina, political analyst Steve Rao, and Dr. Wilmer Leon, host of Inside the Issues with Dr. Wilmer Leon on Sirius XM Radio. So back in March, Joe Biden tweeted, we should forgive a minimum of 10,000 per person of federal student loans as proposed by Senator Warren and colleagues. Young people and other student debt holders bore the brunt of the last crisis. It shouldn't happen again. Steve, I want to ask you, could this statement be interpreted as a promise to forgive $10,000 in student loans? Well, you know, I went back and read that tweet, and I do think it can be construed as a promise. And I think it's a perfect example of political leaders, we see it all the time, making promises, and then circumstances change, and they can't keep those promises. You know, one analogy I would, I would, I would, I would liken it to would be when President George H.W. Bush, the late president, said, read my lips, no new taxes, and then ended up raising taxes and cost in political capital, maybe the presidency, because he lost support even in his own base. And so, you know, in my opinion, uh, just, you know, I think that this is a challenging time for many people during the pandemic, particularly minority communities, utility, rent, bills. And I think we should do something to, uh, even if we're going to make them pay the loans, maybe forgive the interest that they have to pay on the loans. But I will say that there are many competing priorities that this president has to deal with when he, than when he made that promise. I mean, rising gas prices, inflation, uh, the Omicron variant, uh, disruption uh, taking place all around the world, which we're going to talk about today. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, the, this president is dealing with so many things going on every day that it might have been hard to keep these promises. And a campaign is a campaign, but governing is very different. And life is life, and things come up. And, you know, the, he had to be able to anticipate some of these challenges, and people are still... Uh, not going back to work, even though some people might not be working because they're no longer with us, uh, there's still a worker shortage. Um, and But yeah. but I do want to talk about um, the loan forgiveness. In L.A., reportedly, since the beginning of his presidency, Biden has canceled $12.5 in student loan debt for about 640,000 borrowers. And we know that the largest chunk of that went to students with disabilities. And when I hear the word debt cancellation, what I'm thinking is I'm going to get an invoice in the mail that says, you owe a whole lot less than what you used to owe. But that's not exactly how it works. Can you talk a little bit about these promises and broken promises and, and these later, later claims? 
That's exactly right. So one of the promises made on the campaign trail for the Biden administration um, was the cancellation of student debt. But as you already mentioned, Ms. Deb, the devil's is in the detail, the devil's in the details. And what do I mean by that? Our assumption as the people, our hope was that student loan cancellation would be for all 45 million student loan borrowers completely across the board. But when the policy is not specific, when our ask is not specific, then it can be flexible. We didn't say that. That wasn't stated in the campaign, right, that 45 million student loan borrowers would have their debt completely erased. It just said student loan cancellation. So technically, the promise has been kept with that $12 billion student loan forgiveness, in addition to the $110 billion of student loan cancellation through the deferred payments during COVID-19. As you mentioned, uh, most of the borrowers that received cancellation were students with permanent disability, uh, public servants, and even borrowers who were misled by their college or university. But again, the devil's in the details, but it demystifies the process and our trust as a people and candidates when it's just simply not set at what we all hope would be, and that'd be cancellation for everyone. Understood. And Dr. Leon, um, how controversial do you think it is, or did you want to weigh in on, in on what L.A. said? Well, cancellation means cancellation. Relief means relief. <laughs> Joe Biden was was... You know, in, in most instances, voters don't take the time to parse the particular details of, did you mean relief? Did you mean cancellation? He told us that he was going to give us free uh, uh, junior college. He told us we were going to get $70 billion for HBCUs. He told us we were going to get um, uh, dental care and hearing aids in Medicare and, or Medicaid, M Medicare. And that's not happening. Joe Biden has an honesty problem at the end of the day. Joe Biden has an honesty problem. Uh, we've got about 43.2 million uh, people carrying this debt. It's about, I think, $1.5 trillion is the amount of the federal uh, student loan portfolio. And if the Fed in this country can pump $120 billion a month into the banks so that the elite in this country can do well, then why can't Joe Biden help student debt? I think the average amount is around $40,000 a person. And when we look at where we are in terms of this economy for the working class and for middle-class people in this country, that $40,000 debt relief would go an awful long way in, in stimulating this economy. So they want to stimulate it on the elite end, and they want to leave the, uh, the working class and the middle class holding the bag on the back end. They just passed a $780 billion National Defense Authorization Act. Didn't have any problem doing that. Everybody understood very clearly what Joe Biden meant with all of that. Yeah. But somehow we, Joe Biden can't figure out the difference between relief versus cancellation. Uh, maybe he needs to go back and take an English class. I don't know. <laughs> well, well, I would love to have a conversation about <laughs> the difference between reducing student loan debt and reducing the cost of college altogether. You know, <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that to me is a different issue because I, I paid back my student loan debts. I would love some forgiveness as well. 
a promise that Joe Biden met and kept was a commitment to a democracy summit, the first of two which he held just last week. But his summit has faced some criticism in light of all that's happened in our nation. So, Steve, what do you think of uh, the purpose of this summit, and uh, did he accomplish it? Well, I think the purpose of this summit, uh, which he talked about even during the campaign and when he took the oath of office to become our president, was to bring the world together to fight against authoritarianism, dictatorships, and to promote um, democracy all around the world. And that has really been what I call the Biden doctrine. And we are seeing a tremendous decay and disruption of democracy since even he committed to this as our president. And, uh, you know, I think that the before I make my next point, just look at what's going on around the world. Uh, we have a coup in Sudan. We have protests in Cuba, uh, curb killing of the Internet. We've had disruption of democracy in Tunisia. Uh, 38 million Afghanistans living in Afghanistan where democracy has been stripped away. Uh, Venezuela, any country where we've had elected leaders many times and this democracy does not take place. So I think the objective um, is still good. Some of the things that he wants to do, bringing us together to fight anti-corruption, independent media, with investing about $424 million, uh, focusing on addressing technology and big tech and how we can focus on uh, you know, social media companies and how they're using their platforms to infiltrate elections. But I'll end with this. All of this, here's the, here's the hypocrisy. While this president is asking for us to promote democracy, we are having real problems of democracy in our own decay in American democracy with voting rights, which we're going to talk about. We can't get voting rights legislation through. We have states in the United States that are, that are working to make sure they can change the outcomes of elections. This is happening in Arizona where they're taking away powers from the Secretary of State, or in Georgia, uh, moving powers to the Attorney General in Arizona. The list goes on and on. And so we have to make sure that we are getting it right here at home in America if we're going to sell that democracy works for nations around the world. Well, you make a good point about democracy and how it works in other nations. Dr. Uh, Wilmer Leon, what are your thoughts on how uh, America is um, supporting democracies around the nation and specifically about what was problematic about this democracy summit? Well, a couple of things in terms of, I'll start with your last question first. A couple of things that were problematic with the democracy summit was you not only had to look at the list of people that were invited, you had to look at the people that weren't. Israel was at the summit. And I, and I think if you talk to the Palestinians, I don't think Israel is a, I don't think the Zionist state of Israel is a democracy. Uh, you had Juan Guaido invited. Juan Guaido is a man with, is a president without a country because the United States selected Juan Guaido, even though the people of Venezuela elected Nicolas Maduro in a free and fair election. Democracy, not only is it a, 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 a functioning process, there are also cultural components that must be factored into an assessment of democracy. So when we look at China, for example, well, let me, let me say this. Um, the buzzwords have changed. It, after the Cold War, it was democracy versus communism. We, everybody who was, was looking for communists under every rock. Now the buzzword is authoritarian. And so we have to fight authoritarianism. So you go to China, and everybody wants to say the President Xi Jinping of China is an, is an authoritarian. 
But when you look at the polling, the Chinese people, 96% of people in China like their government. Uh, Vladimir Putin is an authoritarian. 86% of people in Russia like their government. Based on which so statistics, if, based on what polls do the people of oh, Russia? Oh, uh, Pew Research, uh, Harvard studies, Princeton has done studies. There are a number of studies out there. Not, I'm not talking about studies from within the country. I'm talking about independent studies performed outside of the country over the span of the last 10 years. That's key. That's uh, key. Mm -hmm. uh, Al-Assad in Syria was deemed to be a authoritarian. He won the election about six months ago with 86% of the vote. It's not that these aren't democracies. It's that the United States doesn't like the people that are being elected. Why wasn't a representative from Bolivia there? Why wasn't a representative from Nicaragua there? Why wasn't a representative from El Salvador, Ecuador? Because the United States, because there are, there, the politics are changing in these countries. They are now resisting American neoliberal policies that were started in North and, Northern, in, uh, in South and Central America in the 70s those policies have failed and the people in those countries are pushing back and the imperial global hegemon called the United States doesn't like that anymore. Well, LA, let me get your thoughts on what Dr. Uh, Leon said, but also about our support for democracy and how we are wearing democracy and showing democracy in our own nation. So, you know, as we previously stated, the, the summit was a global repositioning of America's commitment to democracy in juxtaposition to Trump's administration. It was also to call on allies to do the same, right? But when we talk about the elements of what composes a good democracy, that includes human rights, constitutional rule, and economic growth, which America is struggling with all the above. But so are other nations in the global South, and it's been made worse, exacerbated due to COVID-19. So we've seen deeper poverty, deeper conflict, deeper terrorism. We saw that an example in our own country, domestic terrorism in January, the top of this year, and instability overall. So when we talk about uh, what we must do, it, it must be quick and decisive action. We must reassess our global allies. We have chosen that have chosen to profiteer off the exploitation of their people under the guise of democracy. Is that truly a democracy? When we assess that, we then must divest our funds. We need to stop investing in global militarism that supports those countries that are not actually upholding our vision and values of democracy. But in addition to that reassessment, we also have to invoke confidence in our own nation. Charity starts at home. So when we talk about the 245 new laws and 45 states that will make it hard for 55 million people to vote in 2022, that is democracy being impacted for our more to the most marginalized, but for all the people of America. It has to start at home, and we haven't even begun to tackle what has been generations of issues. Well, I think we've definitely addressed the issue of how we show up around the world with regard to democracy. And what you're sharing, it sounds like, L.A., is that the American people do have a role and have some power in um, how we show up in terms of what we invest in and what we ask for uh, from our representatives. Steve, what would you say are, are some of the, the strengths that, that people can use? What can citizens do uh, beyond that, or what are they not doing uh, to help uh, make sure that we have democracy here in, in America 
and also worldwide. The first thing we have to do to it, and you know, I love President Zelensky's quote from the Ukraine. It says, democracy is not a given. We must fight for it. And we in the United States of America must fight to keep our institutions of democracy strong. But the most important right is the right to vote and also to honor the outcome of our elections. And we've seen just this year, last year, insurrection on our Capitol, people storming the Capitol, looked like a coup. It was very scary. We never thought we would see that in America. And it's time to get a voting rights legislation passed to come together in a bipartisan manner. I think, you know, end the filibuster, do it now, get the bill back better and the stimulus packages continuing to pass. But and also, I would say what we have to do is the American people need to re realize that there is a there is an effort today to make sure that states can change the outcome of elections. So we are headed in a scenario, if we don't, I was speaking to Representative Ross, Deborah Ross, just a few days ago, and I was asking her about, there's been so much focus as we focus on the rights of voters and, you know, absentee ballots and, you know, early voting. Will there be federal laws that would prevent states from changing the outcome of the election? Because let's say in the next presidential election, what I don't think the American people understand is that if, let's say, a state like North Carolina went for one uh, person, if the Republicans had laws that would change the electors, or yeah, if they yeah. move the if they move the power, we're, it's not controlled by Secretary of State. The presidential elections could be uh, overturned, right? Well, by the electoral you know, college. Right? What you're talking about um, kind of leads us to another kind of conversation with regard to voting rights. Um, it yeah. seems as though that we talk about voting rights just about every other week. But nothing's more important, at least that's what President Biden is saying, although rather conveniently, as signs for a vote on his Build Back Better plan indicate that it will not be happening anytime soon. Mm -hmm. But on legislation to secure voting rights uh, is stalled, as that is stalled, as it continues to hinge on two senators, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona. This week, Sinema's spokesperson said in a statement to Politico, quote, Senator Sinema has asked those who want to weaken or eliminate the filibuster to pass voting rights legislation, which she supports, if it would be good for our country to do so, end quote. And that Sinema, quote, continues to support the Senate's 60-vote threshold to protect the country from repeated radical reversals in federal policy, which would cement uncertainty, deepen divisions, and further erode Americans' confidence in our government. So uh, just quickly, Steve, at, at this point, what are the options for getting some movement on voting rights legislation? Well, I, I like this idea of, uh, you know, in, in certain situations, ending the filibuster so you wouldn't need a 60 majority and they just get a voting rights bill that everyone can agree with so we can, you know, curtail a lot of the efforts that are going. Because if we don't have a consistent federal law, you're going to start seeing legislatures dictating how things happen in their states, which could affect the outcome of elections at the national level, you know, at the state level. So I, I do think that we need to do that while we're also trying to get support for the Build Back Better program. Um, this is the challenge. You know, can we get Senator Manchin to come in there to agree with Senator Sinema uh, on that and then get this thing through? But I think there needs to be a lot of uh, bridge building, coalition building. They've, they've, been, they've been working on this bridge for months now, and I got to wonder. Dr. Leon, both Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin say that they support both the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act. How valid do you think 
is there hesitation about how it gets done? Oh, I think that that's really just a cover. Joe Manchin, if my memory serves me correct, is was the former president of the West Virginia chapter of ALEC. And ALEC is responsible for writing a lot of the state anti-voting state legislation. So I honestly think that cinema and mansion are really being used as straw people or stalking horses. Joe Biden doesn't support it. Joe Biden never has. And so when I you think say he doesn't really support just, it, excuse me, no. when you say he doesn't, you mean he doesn't support voting rights? Oh, I don't know if Joe Biden supports voting rights or not, but I know the current bills that are, we'll just stick, we'll just, we'll just keep it uh, with the, with the John Lewis bill, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I, when was the last time Joe Biden used the bully pulpit to support it? I know that on Monday or Tuesday, he did a, a video from the Oval Office supporting the, some gun legislation. I haven't seen Joe Biden stand in the Rose Garden or sit there behind the desk in the Oval Office, look at the camera screen, point his finger at the American people and say, look, it's 2021, enough of this, democracy starts at home, every person in this country should have the right to vote, voting fraud in this country is a farce, is a lie, and is a fraud, and we need to do everything in this country to be sure that every person has a right to vote, and that once that vote is cast, the vote is counted. I don't hear Joe Biden saying that. So what so you're saying... That so it sounds like what you're saying is if that strength came from the top, there might Absolutely. be some movement. Absolutely. Lyndon Johnson got the, got the uh, civil rights bill through. Lyndon Johnson picked up the phone and threatened, threatened some of his lifelong friends, told them, if you, if you don't back me on this, I'm kicking your you-know-what. This whole Joe Biden doesn't seem to understand that the Senate isn't operating anymore the way it used to when he was there. He needs to get hip to what's happening in the in the current times, and he needs to go gangster on some folks if he's serious about getting anything done. Well, I, yeah, I've, I've definitely heard yeah. that strategy. And another, let me bring you in, L.A., is to indeed do something to change the policies out here. So most recently, a change was made to accommodate the, the raising of the debt ceiling. So why aren't Dems calling on that strategy? Why isn't Joe Biden, you know, coming gangster? I mean, what are your thoughts on both of those strategies? Um, you know, I have to echo the doctor. Uh, we're going to have to have a stronger arm. <laughs> and at the top of the uh, Biden administration top of the year, our request as advocates, communities, lawyers, the like, was to actually uh, completely get rid of the filibuster. When we talk about elements of democracy and what is good democracy, well, good democracy is a simple majority vote. The majority wins. But it is not good democracy when you have a filibuster which can stop a simple majority vote. It's literally a vote to determine if elected officials can vote. When that's the whole point, we vote you in to vote. So when we talk about the fact that, as you mentioned, the debt ceiling, the economic growth piece, right, the filibuster was temporarily, right, uh, disallowed to be used so that a vote could go forward to Senator Raphael Warnock's point, that same method could be used now 
to prioritize democracy for the millions of folks who turned out to vote for the promise of, guess what, a fair democracy, a promise that voter suppression would continue to plague our communities and racial gerrymandering, which has been a staple since the inception of this country, right, would then be back regulated by states who haven't shown that they're good stewards of racial fairness and equity. And that was the promise. That promise, again, hasn't been upheld. And it's as simple as either get rid of the filibuster or do it temporarily in this moment so we can move forward with protecting 55 million plus voters. Well, how about that argument, though, that, well, if we uh, change the rules now, all we're going to do is create a back and forth. Things will change for so, now. They'll change the rules again. My, my concern is that because of the critical nature of the current moment and democracy and voting, if something's not done right now, we've got decades to live with the indecision. Right. That's right. That's right. And there's currently a North Carolina court order that has stayed filing for uh, the North Carolina uh, Senate. Uh, the House. So currently, candidates can't even file because of the potential gerrymandering that mm -hmm. North Carolina has already faced. And these are recently drawn maps that have just been drawn this year, which means we are about to go into racial and partisan gerrymandering for many years, but definitely the deep bench of the next 10 years, because this will be litigation after litigation to prove, again, that we've been racially discriminated against and gerrymandering and partisan uh, unfairness in Germany. Right. That's already begun. It's already right. delaying our elections presently in 2021 before we even get to 2022. We must act. Well, the people need to be paying attention. And I appreciate all three of you raising the issues and kind of laying things out for us. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Happy holidays, everybody. Thank you. I want to thank Steve Rao, L.A. Whittington, and Dr. Wilmer Leon for joining us today. We invite you to engage with us on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag Black Issues Forum. You can also find our full episodes on pbsnc.org slash Black Issues Forum or listen at any time on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. For Black Issues Forum, I'm Deborah Holt-Noel. Thanks for watching. through the financial contributions of viewers like you who invite you to join them in supporting PBSNC.